Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me is Christian Garcia, Public Relations Coordinator for Victory Outreach Church. They're holding a free back-to-school event in the park with free school supplies for the kids at the end of July. Christian, thank you so much for being here today. It's such a great privilege and an honor to be here with you today. Thank you once more. So why does Victory Outreach hold this annual event with back-to-school supplies for the kids and a lot of fun going on at the park? Yeah, so it started a few years back. We had a desire to reach our community and just let them know in times of need and crisis that we wanted to be a support group. So uh, a few years ago, we started there at Paradise Park. And we have gone through every year in different locations, but we've been favored with Paradise Park. And what it is, is simply just an event. We're going to be giving out free haircuts, school supplies, backpacks. We're going to have food, jumpers there. We're going to have games there. And it's just us trying to let the community know that we understand at times when parents are in need for, uh, especially right now with, with, with the school system, I know that sometimes it's hard, it, it gets expensive. So we just want to be uh, a blessing, but not only a blessing, but just let our community know that we're there for them. Okay. And who is invited to take part at the event? It's open to the public. Every year we try to include a variety of different organizations. I know we, we have different organizations like Walmart come, uh, Walgreens has donated to us. Uh, we had different organizations that help with health, that help with uh, trying to help uh, families get, uh, get off the streets. Uh, we have different organizations as well as churches that are going to be partners. So it's open to the public. We just want to be a lending hand for the community. If you guys have a resource or if you're able to help promote, we just want to uh, lock in arms and show that we can do it together, that together we can make a difference. Nice. Okay. So what kind of entertainment are you going to be having? We're going to be having music. We're going to be having different games for like kids and family to enjoy. We're going to have a shaded area so they can uh, enjoy while they're waiting and getting instructions. We're going to be having water, chips, hot dogs, food right there. We're going to be having uh, different people use their gifts and talents with music and different entertainment such as that. We're also going to be giving out a, a giveaway. So as soon as they get there, they have to register. There will be a table there to register. We just get your local information like your name your phone number and email and how, how did you hear about it? And when you get the ticket at the end, right before we close, uh, we're going to call out tickets and we're going to be giving out free things. Nice. Okay. What kind of raffle prizes? Different uh, prizes. Like we have gift baskets that have variety of different items inside of it. Some of them have gift cards. Some of them have movie tickets, it has a few snacks, a few clothing on there. We're trying to give out bikes. Uh, we're working on trying to get even electronics like iPads, something like that for like the whole family. That's awesome. So is the whole event free to attend? Yes, it's absolutely free. 
It's going to be located there at Paradise Park, and it's going to begin at 11 a.m., and it's going to end at 1 p.m., or sometimes it goes a little bit longer, depending if the people are enjoying themselves, and if we see that we'll leave it open longer if people are not leaving, if, if they're just staying there and, and just enjoying the time of, of getting to know one another. So we do have the time difference from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And what's the date? July 29th. That's a Saturday, Saturday, July 29th from 11 to 1 p.m., located there at Paradise Park. And that's at the corner of McLeod and Tropicana, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. Awesome. Now, where can people go if they wanted to find out more information about the Victory Outreach Church or some of the events that you've got going on? We have everything on our website. It's volasvegas.org. You just and it's all lowercase, just VOLasVegas.org. And if you scroll down, you can see all the information for Victory Outreach. We do have a variety of locations throughout the city, but ours is Victory Outreach Las Vegas. There's different ones like Victory Outreach North Las Vegas, East Las Vegas, West Las Vegas, and we also there's a variety of campuses. But the one that's hosting this event is VOLasVegas.org. And you can get all that information there. And you can also look through our website and see our, our service times, what we're about, our history, how did we came about. We've been here for over 30 plus years. Wow, that's awesome. Yes. Okay, so once again, VOLasVegas.org is the website to go to. VOLasVegas.org. It stands for Victory Outreach. So VOLasVegas.org. And the Victory Outreach Church is holding a free back-to-school event. It's happening Saturday, July 29th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Paradise Park. That's at the corner of McLeod and Tropicana. So Saturday, July 29th, 11 to 1, all kinds of free stuff going on. Free school supplies for the kids, free haircuts, free entertainment, music, food, giveaways, all kinds of stuff. VOLasVegas.org is the website. And Christian, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know about this event. Sounds like a lot of fun. And the fact that it's free, I mean, sounds like a great time for the families and the community. So I appreciate you being here and letting us know more about it and letting us know what you guys are doing. I am so grateful for your time. And I know you guys are busy. And I just want to thank you for giving us a slot and an opportunity to be able to promote this. And I want to thank you for uh, helping us out. And you're such a blessing. Thank you so much. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. One in four Americans today are living with a disability. I'm one of them. I care deeply about creating a world we can all fully participate in, free from stigma, misperceptions, and barriers. And we've got a trusted ally on our side, an organization we can rely on, Easter Seals. Rooted in communities nationwide, Easter Seals helps empower millions of people, regardless of age or disability, through its life-changing services and powerful advocacy. Today and every day, Easter Seals is leading the way to full equity, inclusion, and access to healthcare, employment, and education for people with disabilities, families, and communities. That's my Easter Seals. Make it yours. Learn more and get involved at EasterSeals.com. This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and I'm speaking with Sarah DeWitt, Senior Vice President and General Manager at PBS Kids. 
Parents often wonder what kinds of rules they should set regarding screen time, especially since the pandemic made technology use much more prevalent. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Heather. So screen time sometimes gets a bad rap, but what are some of the ways media and technology can positively impact the learning process for kids? Well, we've known for a really long time that media use can have a positive impact on kids' learning. I mean, if you go all the way back to the 60s, to Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, those are really well documented that kids can learn from those shows. And over time, we've learned a lot more about how kids can learn from playing games, how you can reinforce skills they're learning in school, and how media can be a great way to get kids to jump off into real-world activities. So I think when parents think about screen time, they tend to lump it all together. And the first thing that I love to advise parents to do is to, to start to break it apart. Think about what are the ways that media could be a positive in my kid's life? And what are some shows, what are some games that I feel like have that positive reinforcement? And then what are some games that might then want my, help my kid explore outside? If they get really interested in something and then want to go explore it in the real world, that's the ideal opportunity with media. Okay, so what can we do to make sure that the habits they develop early on are those positive habits and those educational habits? It's a great idea for parents to think about how they want media to play out in their kids' schedule during the day. So it's just one of many activities that they engage with during a day. So when kids are really young, it's a great time to kind of set up that habit. You will you know, watch a show or play a game for a set amount of time, and then we're going to go do something active. So going ahead and making that a good habit is important. But I think one of the most important things is for grownups to talk to kids about media. That research has been really clear that kids learn more from a show they watch or a game they play if they talk to a grown-up about it. And so if you set up a habit where you talk about what media you played. If you say like at lunchtime, you always ask the question, oh, what happened on Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood today? Or what did Arthur have to deal with in his show today? And then let the kid tell you part about it and then kind of get into a conversation. The learning gains are always going to be greater if there's a conversation. And that conversation also sets up really good media habits as kids get older, because you want kids to be thinking critically about what they're watching and playing. And if parents then also can really understand what their kids are doing and have an open dialogue about it, they're going to have healthier media habits over time. Okay. Now, you're talking primarily about quality versus quantity and making sure that the screen time that they do have is primarily positive educational learning opportunities and interactive opportunities with the real world. But if we go beyond all of that, how much screen time is too much? You know, it's really different for every kid. The American Academy of Pediatrics has some guidelines. They recommend, you know, that that kids under the age of 18 months aren't really engaging at all. And then they have some guidelines. But you also know your own kids and you know what they're like. So I, I'll just tell you, I have one child who would watch all day if I let him, if I didn't intervene, because he gets really sucked in and really just wants to play games all day. And another who can play for like 20 minutes, and then he's got to get up and move and be active. And so I have to set different guidelines for the two of them. And I think parents really need to think about their own kids and what they are like and how to best 
organize the screen time in their lives that is going to make sense for that kid, but also makes sense for the family. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Now, children's mental health has been a big topic of conversation recently. How can media help parents and caregivers with that topic? So this goes back to that idea about talking about media. A lot of kids' shows delve into stories that really are about mental health right now. This is something parents are really worried about. And we know that media can model really good behaviors. It can also model bad behaviors, but it can Mm -hmm. model some really good things. So if you think about what is happening in a show and then point out to kids what the characters are, are feeling and point out the ways that they're managing it. So in Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, he when he gets mad, he takes a deep breath and he counts to four. And that's something that parents can practice with young kids. As kids get older, you know, shows like Arthur get into more conversation about mental health, about taking deep breaths, about talking to a grown-up about really needing to identify what they're feeling. So watching these things together is great, but even if parents don't have time to watch at the same time, if they overhear some of these strategies that the characters engage in, they can reinforce those at home. You know, other things that we try to model on PBS Kids are things like walking in nature, making sure that you're getting exercise, things that we know are healthy habits for supporting emotional well-being. And you can see that our characters are engaging those kinds of activities. So you want to look for media where the characters are doing the kinds of things that you know are going to have positive impacts on mental health. Okay. Now you've mentioned Daniel Tiger and Arthur. What are some of the other shows on PBS Kids that are really beneficial and can be good use of child screen time? Oh, there's so many things. And it really kind of also depends on what your kids are interested in. If you have a child who loves animals, Wild Kratts is an amazing show for helping kids learn more about animal traits and differences and uh, different habitats and ecosystems. Same with Nature Cat, where they go outside and really explore the outdoors and try to identify how different streams and plants help benefit animals. Other shows that I think are really fun right now are Rosie's Rules which is a preschool show focused on social studies. So it's really about how the world works. Rosie is Mexican-American and it's set in South Texas. So it also is showing um, a part of America that isn't always represented on television with a lot of Spanish and English mixed in. So kids can kind of find things that look like, reflect their own experiences, but also learn about some different areas as well. Same with Molly of Denali, which is set in Alaska and focuses on how you use your literacy skills with texts around you. So how you use brochures and maps and internet searches to find the information you need to go on adventures and to answer questions. Awesome. Okay. So where can people go if they want more information about PBS Kids, the educational programming that you have available, or how to set positive habits around screen time? Well, certainly the PBS Kids video app and the PBS Kids games app are where you can find all of this content. Uh, If you follow PBS Kids on social media, we regularly post tips and ideas and articles about how to engage with kids around media. So Facebook, Twitter? Yes, Instagram. Awesome. And then the website is pbskids.org, right? That's correct, pbskids.org. 
Okay. So once again, pbskids.org. If you want to find out more about PBS Kids or access the programming, you can also download the PBS Kids video app if you want to take that programming with you or check out PBS Kids on social media for more tips around screen time and how to positively interact with the shows that your kids watch. PBS Kids on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Sarah, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know more about the programming available and how we can best make use of it to make sure our kids have positive habits around screen time. So I really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you. Thank you. When a student lacks some of the most basic needs, like food, clothing, and school supplies, it can be challenging to even attend to school. It can be hard to study, tough to concentrate, impossible to thrive. At Communities in Schools, we address this issue every day. Out in the community, there are great resources for students, and we bring these resources directly to the students who need them most. We work to ensure that they have everything they need to re-engage in learning in the classroom and at home. Including access to technology, learning materials, and even emotional support. By forging caring relationships with students and bringing communities of support to them. Our staff works to achieve equitable learning conditions so all kids can succeed in school and in life. And that's what Communities in Schools is all about. To learn more, visit communitiesinschools.org. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and I'm speaking with Sarah Lenslock, AARP's Senior Vice President for Policy and Brain Health and Executive Director of the Global Council on Brain Health. A new report from AARP and the Global Council on Brain Health says a number of factors can impact brain health, and you can achieve maximum brain health by following some recommendations. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. It's great to be here, Heather, and talk about brain health. So what does this new report on brain health reveal? Well, we've found that there are many social, economic, and environmental factors that can impact your ability to sustain the healthy behaviors that can make a difference in your brain health as you age. And we explain why certain groups face more barriers than others. Why is it that some groups face more barriers? Well, the fact is that where you live and where you work can make a tremendous difference in whether it's easy or difficult for you to institute what we call the six pillars of brain health, exercise, sleep, managing stress, eating right. So for people who live in communities where it's more difficult to exercise, there aren't resources or, or, or parks or complete streets near where they are, that can make a big difference. And a lifetime of discrimination and healthcare providers that don't understand your culture, they can make recommendations that don't work for you. So it is really important that your community and the places that you live most of your life reduce the barriers to you 
living your best life with the six pillars of brain health. Okay. What are the rest of the six pillars? So we talk about being social. Your cognitive well-being actually has a lot to do with whether you're maintaining good relationships with people. Being socially isolated can increase your risk for dementia by 50%. So being social, really important pillar. Engaging your brain, learning new things, managing stress, exercise, regular activity, moving throughout the day, really important for your brain. And sleep. Lots of people take sleep for granted. And in our culture of go, 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 it is actually sleep that is one of the fastest ways to make yourself feel better and your brain to function better. And finally, everybody's favorite, eating right. What you eat and choosing a heart-healthy diet can make a big difference for your brain. Okay, what would constitute a heart-healthy diet when we're looking at eating healthy for the brain? Well, you want to reduce things like salt and sugar and high fats. You want to increase things like leafy green vegetables, whole proteins that are low fat, making sure that you include lots of colorful fruits and vegetables in your diet. You've heard probably, Heather, you are what you eat, but mm -hmm. your brain and your heart are that too. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So what questions should we ask our healthcare provider about brain health? Well, first of all, you should ask for a baseline screening and what can you do to reduce your risk for cognitive decline? Lots of doctors are not asking or having conversations with their patients about what you, they can do to reduce risk. So talk to your doctor about what's normal, what you can expect, and how you can institute healthy behaviors to manage your risks. Okay. What sorts of signs should we look for in a loved one when determining whether they might be struggling with some brain health issues? Well, it's perfectly normal for adults to forget things. And lots of times it's because they're not paying attention. But when there is a persistent problem with thinking that interferes with that person's everyday activities, that's when you should be concerned. But you shouldn't wait until it is progressed to that point that there's a problem. In fact, everybody should be screened for their brain, just like they're screened for their heart health. You know, what we call a checkup from the neck up mm -hmm. instead of uh, just worrying about everything below. What's involved in this baseline brain screening that you've been talking about? Well, especially because we're talking about the report about barriers, you know, cognitive screening and diagnostics should be culturally appropriate. If you speak Spanish, you should absolutely be asking for a Spanish test because mm -hmm. it's about what's normal for you. And if English is your second language, you know, it's crazy <laughs> to give those tests in English. Yeah. So it's something as fundamental and as basic as, as that. Okay. So where can our listeners go if they want more information about brain health or to access what was in the report? I recommend people go to aarp.org slash brain health, all one word 
because we have so many resources available for free to help people understand about how to reduce your risk for cognitive decline as you age. Okay, nice. So aarp.org slash brain health is the website to go to aarp.org slash brain health. You can find plenty of free resources and tips to reduce the impact on brain health, aarp.org slash brain health. And Sarah, I want to thank you so much for being here today and sharing these tips and resources and issues with us. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. At four in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost six million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey and we can fulfill that journey at the same time that we are helping our loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me is Dr. Remus Lucas, Associate Professor of Neurology at Northwestern Medicine, and Jason Tharp, award-winning speaker, author, illustrator, and a patient living with glioblastoma, or GBM. GBM's the most aggressive type of brain cancer, and July 19th is GBM Awareness Day. Jason and Dr. Lucas, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. So, Dr. Lucas, what exactly is GBM? So, GBM, or glioblastoma IDH wild type, which is the formal name for the World Health Organization classification system, is a type of primary brain tumor. And that means it's a tumor that's interwoven with normal, healthy brain and arises in the brain itself, as opposed to tumors that are metastatic. So, meaning tumors that came from the lung or the breast or somewhere, or you know, melanoma, et cetera, that spread to the brain. It falls into a big camp of tumors called infiltrating gliomas, and it's one of the most aggressive of these tumor types. How prevalent is this type of brain cancer in the U.S.? The incidence of this tumor is about 15,000 individuals per year diagnosed in the United States. And we don't have uh, as robust numbers internationally, but one could kind of assume it's a relatively similar distribution throughout the world. Okay. And what are some of the symptoms? The way I think about the symptoms is that they can be localizable or non-localizable. Non-localizable symptoms are those that are related to increased pressure intracranially. And classically, those will be headaches that are worse when lying down or waking somebody from sleep, oftentimes associated with some double vision, nausea and vomiting, and even some somnolence or sleepiness. And then we can have localizable symptoms that are due to where specific tumor is found within the neuroanatomy. Depending on the specific location, you can have weakness if it's in part of the brain that's responsible for moving part of the body. You can have language deficits. And anywhere where it's involved in the cortex or the outer portion of the brain, it can irritate it enough to cause seizures. Okay. Jason, what's your personal story with GBM? 
Yeah, my mind started, as Dr. Lucas just mentioned, with a seizure, which led me to the ER because I had never had a seizure in my life. And most of my symptoms kind of came in hindsight when looking back to kind of piece it all together. But that uh, at the ER, they did a CT scan, which led to an MRI, uh, which was the discovery of the tumor. And quickly, I had a really good neurosurgeon who was confident that he could remove all of the tumor. And I had a successful resection, which means they took it all out. And that led to the next steps, which would be chemo and radiation. And as you can imagine, when you're given this diagnosis, it's pretty, it's big and scary and it's, and it's all those things. And, you know, I think I made a mistake that a lot of people do as I searched what it was on the internet versus, you know, asking better questions of those around me. And what happens is you're kind of left in a start because they don't tell you right away what it is. And for me, what really I was looking for in those moments of was hope and in searching for hope, I searched glioblastoma good news, which led me to a website like Novacure, Novacure's website, which talked about TT fields. And I remember hearing about on there a gentleman that was still skiing. And for me, that just meant everything because I love skiing. And it just provided that first catalyst of hope. And then I started to address things like, you know, what role do I play? How can I be a better advocate for myself? understanding that there are amazing captains on this team that i am the captain of this and that if i can bring the best version of myself to meet this thing along with the best versions that the doctors have with information that we might be able to do what others may seem impossible yeah okay dr lucas jason mentioned tt fields therapy what exactly is that how does it work so tt fields are tumor treating fields are a set of arrays that are applied directly to the scalp and they deliver alternating electrical fields. And the way, way that it works is that when you put things with polarity, have pluses and minuses from physics, in an electrical field, they move around. And one of the things that this does is when tumor cells are trying to divide to make more tumor cells, it causes enough problems in a portion of that system called the mitotic spindle that helps the tumor cells divide. And that either A, stops them from dividing, what we call a cytostatic effect, or B, causes them to die in that process called a cytotoxic effect. In addition, there seem to be some other mechanisms at play. So we can see on electron microscopy studies that little holes are poked in the membranes of these tumor cells, which is probably harmful to them. We also see that there is some induction of an inflammatory response locally, so trying to harness your own immune system to, to take care of these. And we observe that they may impede the ability of the tumor cells to move from one place to another. So this has been studied within the context of a number of different laboratory investigations. Okay. Now, Jason, you mentioned that looking for good news and acknowledging that you have a team around you were really impactful. What would you say to others about having a positive outlook and being their own advocate when it comes to their health? It's everything. I mean, when when it comes down to it, you know, as I mentioned, like the doctors and, and all your medical staff are, are experts on what they know in terms of, you know, the information and, and they're they're amazing parts of your team. But what they aren't experts on is is you, the individual. And what is so important about advocating for yourself is just understanding that you actually have a control of your life, that you can pick to live in the past and what was and you can't undo or you can try to predict the future which really you can't predict anyway but you can learn also live in the present moment and bring the best that you can to this moment and that to me has been the life changer that has really 
opened up so many doors for me in terms of understanding who I am. And when I understand who I am, I can then help others. I can then help myself. I can help my family. I can be more present in these moments because the truth is, is that none of us really know what our future is. And, you know, just because we have this diagnosis, that doesn't mean that this prognosis on our future is actually going to be true. We can change and predict what we're going to react to the situation and control the things that we want to control versus trying to, you know, make up stories that aren't even true yet. And for me, that was the 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 big change was when I started to address those issues and how I could change my role in that. And then I can do the stuff that everybody might be telling me that it's not possible. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice for anyone, no matter what they're dealing with, is living in the present instead of the past or the future. So I'm really glad that that has helped you in this journey. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Dr. Lucas, what should people know if they, like Jason, or if a loved one they know is diagnosed with GBM? You know, I think I really like Jason's analogy of being the one who is sort of overseeing the the decision making. I think another a very apropos analogy would be to think about a football team. And, you know, the patient is the coach. They're the one who gets to decide who's playing on that team, who the quarterback is, et cetera. I think, you know, as an academic neuro-oncologist, I'm clearly biased. I think there's value in getting a great quarterback. And from my perspective, that would be getting a neuro-oncologist who has a strong understanding of this disease and then can, you know, help organize and manage all the appropriate next steps, all the appropriate plays. And a lot of that stuff can be done closer to home in collaboration with a team locally and doesn't necessitate an excessive amount of travel or anything else for patients with this serious illness. Okay. So where can listeners go if they want to find out more about glioblastoma for GBM Awareness Day? So there's a number of legitimate sources of information. I think one of the first things that I advocate for is to check out some of the brain tumor research slash advocacy organizations. One of those that comes top of mind is the American Brain Tumor Association or the ABTA, um, which helps provide information to patients and their families, as well as funds important early pivotal research. So that's, I think, a good source. You want to learn more about tumor treating fields, which is one of the modalities of therapy that Jason has received. You can go to novacure.com, which can provide legitimate information on that therapeutic modality. Okay, awesome. So once again, American Brain Tumor Association is a good source to look for, ABTA, American Brain Tumor Association. And also, if you want to follow the path that Jason did and find the research that he discovered, it's at novocure.com, N-O-V-O-C-U-R-E.com, novocure.com. And Jason and Dr. Lucas, I want to thank you both so much for being here and letting us know more about GBM for GBM Awareness Day coming up on July 19th. And Jason, I want to thank you for sharing your story and your words of encouragement for other people who might be going through similar things. So thank you both for being here. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cancer can feel like something we can't do anything about, but you can. There are screening tests that can catch cancer early when it may be easier to treat. Begin cervical screening at age 25. At 45, start colorectal and breast screening. At 50, discuss lung screening with a doctor. Find resources for free and low-cost screening at cancer.org slash get screened. This is a public service message from the American Cancer Society.
In honor of all those we've lost to cancer and those still fighting and thriving, like basketball analyst Dick Vitale. I want to beat cancer. I'm going to beat it. That's no doubt in my mind. I'm going to win this battle. Defeating cancer will take all of us. At the V Foundation, V is for victory over cancer. V is for victory over giving up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Join our team in the fight against cancer at V.org. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me is Kristen Zeman, former police chief of the Aurora, Illinois Police Department, and a speaker, author, and change agent in the law enforcement profession, and also Isabella Giannini, director of customer loyalty and head of Axon Aid, which supports first responders through no-cost resources. Roughly one in three first responders develop post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, compared to one in five in the general population. Kristen and Isabella, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you, Heather. Thanks for having us. So, Kristen, why is PTSD so prevalent among first responders? I think notoriously through the profession of law enforcement, we have been conditioned to not ask for help. It's a stigma in the profession. And as a result, when you don't develop the tools along the way to build that resiliency, what results is the post-traumatic stress that affects these officers' mental health and well-being. What have you learned from your personal experience in the field that you would be able to tell to other public safety leaders? In the field of law enforcement, what people don't understand or perhaps don't really take the time to comprehend is uh, what I call the thousand tiny cuts, those things that officers see every single day, death and destruction and just traumatic events. And I call it the film reel in their heads that continue to play over and over. And what we need to understand is that we need to develop systems and processes where officers can can feel okay to have the courage to ask for help. And that's where Axon Aid comes in. And these systems can be developed to help officers along the way and to take away that stigma. Okay. Isabella, what exactly is Axon Aid and how are you helping the situation? Axon Aid is the philanthropic arm of Axon. We have programs around emergency response, mental health and wellness, and charity and volunteerism. Most prevalent and most relevant today is our mental health and wellness efforts, which provide training and resources all at no cost to responders, agencies, and their families. What types of training and resources are available that would help the first responders manage their well-being? So specifically to the first responders, we have things that train on grounding techniques, cycle of awareness, understanding when you might be going down a bad path, EMDR and different visualization efforts. And then for families, spotting the signs of an at-risk loved one, how to start those conversations, how to navigate that to support. And for agencies, how to establish programs that will help staff, peer support programs, establishing a clinician within the agency, building a wellness department. Okay, Kristen, what are some of the signs of PTSD that we would be able to recognize in a loved one? So what's interesting is the obvious signs that we are all attuned to are the lack of sleep, you know, the nightmares, but there are ones that are more nuanced. And that is when we look into the science of PTSD is, and especially I had a mass shooting, unfortunately, in my city where five of my officers were shot and five people were killed. 
And what I learned uh, from that traumatic event was officers would describe things that we didn't recognize as PTSD, uh, one of which is losing interest in, in hobbies that they loved. They just stopped doing it. So we have the obvious ones, of course, and those are the ones that family members can really tune into. Of course, we look at substance abuse turning into things that help numb those feelings. Uh, but the less nuanced ones are ones where just the the routine things that uh, you know a human being did and no longer has interest in. So all of those collectively where we can say, hey, something is wrong here and we need to tap into the resources and, and let's get some help. Is it possible to prevent PTSD from happening in the first place? I think there are ways that you can. I'm not a, a practitioner in that kind of field, but what my understanding is that building the resources early on, especially, you know, early on in an officer's career to teach them to recognize the signs, teach them not to let it fester and to bubble over, to ask for help immediately when these things begin to happen. And keep in mind, it doesn't have to be a major incident like a mass shooting. You know, simply driving up on a car accident, you know, where people are injured, that is it, that begins that cycle of, of that film reel. So just starting to recognize and learn that I can reach out and ask for help and say, you know what, that call that I went on last night was was a lot and I, I'm going to need some help. So just developing those tools where and, and taking the stigma away from asking for help is, I think, is what sets the foundation for prevention. Okay. Now, we had a mass shooting, of course, here in Las Vegas, October 1, 2017. So, Isabella, what kind of resources does Axon Aid have that would have been able to help those people? Yeah, I think first and foremost, when an incident happens, having effective debriefs, both for the people that responded, and that's the front line, but also the dispatch team, the people who redact the footage, that entire group providing them with the resources to debrief, talk through, bringing in clinicians and chaplains and people to assist in that process is a really healthy way to start kind of the process of navigating a tragedy like that. Okay. So Isabella, where could responders go if they want to get more information on the services that are available to them from AxonAid? All of our resources and trainings are available on our website axon.com slash aid. And we have a newsletter sign up where you can stay up to date on the latest. And then you can also reach out to our team with any questions or additional comments. Okay. Do either of you have any final words on the topic that you would like to say? I think that the theme here is that the only way to get to courage is to walk through that vulnerability. And it's going to take every single one of us to acknowledge that this is a problem. As you mentioned, one in three suffer from PTSD. And just being aware of that means that we can take action steps to begin to prevent it and to treat it. And so I would just encourage anyone to reach out if they're having thoughts, uh, dark thoughts, and, and to get the help that they need, that there are resources and that we are willing to help. Okay, awesome. So once again, the website is axon.com slash aid. That's A-X-O-N dot com slash aid. And there's no cost resources available for first responders there for dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and other issues as well. So axon.com slash aid. 
and Kristen and Isabella. I want to thank you both for being here and letting us know more about the situation, what can be done about it, and the resources that are available. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Heather. Are you looking for more in this world? Are you ready for something bigger? Then we are looking for you. The big-hearted, the bold, the messy and the gutsy. The teachers, the growers, the builders. The skilled, the sharers, the change makers. We need you. We are the Peace Corps. In more than 60 countries, we go all in and all out. We are volunteers, partners, communities, working together, living together. Bringing our experience, passion, and joy to building a better world together. From tackling climate change in Mexico to keeping kids healthy in Kenya. From sustainable farming in the Philippines to education in Kosovo. We learn more, give more, share freely, and serve boldly. Are you ready to tackle the tough stuff? To go the distance to make a difference? Then we have a place where you belong. Join us at PeaceCorps.gov. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and I'm speaking with journalist and podcaster Nadeska Alexis. Nadeska was a correspondent for MTV News and is the host of R&B Now Radio and the Nadeska Show on Apple Music, as well as the Beginner to Buyer podcast for Chase, which is all about getting into home ownership. Nadeska, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. So what would you say are the biggest roadblocks right now to people getting into home ownership? Well, the Beginner to Buyer podcast is full of experts. So for me, every time I host a season, I am learning a ton. And I think although we know the market has been fluctuating a lot, Heather, I think one of the biggest roadblocks is just knowledge. I think on every episode, I'm speaking to both experts and home buyers. So we're hearing lots of individual stories. And one of the most common themes is people feeling like they lack the knowledge and the confidence to go through the process. And that's everyone from a first-time home buyer to someone who's considering an investment property or they want to renovate their current home, but they're not sure what upgrades will make the most sense in the long term. And so really the podcast is about just sharing knowledge, you know, experts from home lending advisors, to real estate brokers, to people who renovate for a living, just sharing all of that information so listeners can walk away feeling more confident to navigate the market no matter what comes their way. Okay, awesome. Now, I think one of the reasons why people seem afraid to go through that process of buying a house now is because of economic conditions, interest rates, and that sort of thing. So how can people know when it's the right time to buy? So I think there's no one size fits all plan because everybody's situation is different, right? There are a lot of things to consider that our experts will walk you through. Um, Your financial standing, you know, have you saved enough? Have you made the wish list for your the home that you want and then whittle it down to the absolute necessity you know or are you really buying trying to buy the house that your family needs or what you think is your dream house right we're going through all of those details and then for some people of course uh, the upfront cost of owning a home can be a lot right the down payment and the closing costs are really expensive so our experts are also going to walk you through that process and just show, share those resources with you. You know, we're going to debunk some misconceptions, like people who think that you need to put 20% down to own a home and they can't afford it. Well, that's not true. You don't need to put 20% down. There are people who have 
big student loans and they think that means they can never qualify for a mortgage. And that's absolutely not true. So we're talking you through all of those details down to buying a home now. And if, you know, interest rates are dropping in a couple of years, going through the process of refinancing. So we want to make sure that we really cover every angle. What would you say are the biggest benefits to home ownership over rental? For me, and I can speak from personal experience and also from all of the buyers that I spoke to on the podcast, I just think that home ownership, you know, will always be a really important step to securing the stability for your family, right? You know, you're not at the mercy of a landlord changing the rent when you least expect it or selling when you least expect it and you need to move. So you have that stability, you know, it builds your financial independence and also gives you a really opportunity to build generational wealth, you know, and that was really important for me. I, I think that, you know, my, my parents had nothing to pass on to me as hard as they work. And for me, it'll be really important to be able to pass on a, a home to my child. So I think all of those things are, are really important. And a lot of the buyers I spoke to mentioned also those intangible things, like that, that feeling of being able to see your family run around in the backyard to, to have a barbecue and, you know, know that you're going to build those memories in the same place. You can do all the upgrades to the house that you want and no one's going to tell you no. I think all of those things go a long way to just building a good quality of life. Yeah. And those are some amazing benefits. Now, on the flip side, of course, there's also some drawbacks like you can't call someone to come fix it when something breaks. There's no one to say, hey, right. you know, you got to take care of this. So, you know, when you're measuring right. the pros and cons, what would you say are the most important things to consider when deciding whether it's time to pull the trigger and, and yeah, let's start looking for a home? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's why I think that although everyone's path is going to be different, that's why we want to make sure that we give all of the information. I think some people go in thinking, cool, uh, I paid the down payment, we made it through closing, I am good. But we want to, like you said, point out, you should have reserves, right? So when something breaks and you're right, you can't call the landlord to come fix it, you should have reserves for those kind of emergencies. And so I, we talked to home buyers on the podcast who did exactly that, you know? I bought this house, I had a figure I might need to do some small electrical upgrades, so I made sure I had enough in my my savings for that. So all of those things are things that we get into because and our experts advise against, you know, there are some buyers who talked about being in bidding wars and we advise against getting caught up in the heat of the moment and then having what we call buyer's remorse. You know, you don't want to then have a house and feel like you overspent and you stretch your budget and now you don't have money so you and your family could go on vacation and, and explore those small things. And so for some people, renting in the interim might make sense as you continue saving money and you buy when you're comfortable and when your finances are stable. So our experts were really, really serious about getting into all of those details, Heather. Cool. Okay. So you've mentioned the Beginner to Buyer podcast, which you do for Chase, and it's all about taking people from beginners to buyers in the homeownership journey. So let us know where people could go to listen to the podcast or learn more about the podcast or find out the topics that you're going to be talking about in the upcoming months. Yeah, so if you check out beginnertobuyer.com, you'll see the full rundown of the new season. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcast and also something brand new for season two. We do have video episodes available for each one. So if you check out the Chase YouTube channel, it's nice because you actually get to have some face time with the experts and you get to see all of those different buyers we're talking to across America in each episode. 
And um, the first five episodes of season one are also now available in Spanish on the Chase YouTube channel. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so beginnertobuyer.com is the website, beginnertobuyer.com. You'll find the Beginner to Buyer podcast that Nadeska does for Chase, beginnertobuyer.com. If you want to find out anything about getting into that home ownership journey, going from a beginner, getting that knowledge that she talked about and finding out the pros and cons of home ownership and deciding if it's right for you and when it's right for you. So beginnertobuyer.com. And Nadeska, I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing your thoughts and letting us know where we can find out more. It's been great talking to you, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Heather. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I wasn't prepared, but I knew I had to be strong. When I was told about John's injury, I was in complete shock. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. For thousands of severely injured veterans, everyday life is filled with barriers. It was really the, the little things throughout the house. Counters that you can't roll up to. I had to drag my wheelchair down steps. I want to help, but he is so determined. At Homes for Our Troops, we build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access, roll-in showers, and automatic door openers that allow them to function independently and focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. This house has given me my family back. To learn more, visit hfotusa.org. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. The Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth, or NPHY, is holding their annual back-to-school education drive, and they're looking for monetary donations or school supplies through July 20th. These supplies will be distributed to the estimated 14,000 students in Clark County who are experiencing homelessness and can't afford the supplies they need to continue their education. You can make a monetary donation or choose something from their Amazon wish list at nphy.org. Or drop off donations in person at the NPHY Drop-In Center, 4981 Shirley Street near UNLV, across from the Thomas and Mack Center, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And again, to make a virtual donation or find out more, visit nphy.org. That's nphy.org. The fourth annual Battle for Vegas charity softball game will take place next Saturday, July 22nd, with gates at 5.30 and first pitch at 7.30 p.m., plus post-game fireworks at 9 o'clock at Las Vegas Ballpark. It's the Vegas Golden Knights versus the Las Vegas Raiders, and you can watch your favorite stars battle it out for ultimate bragging rights, all for a good cause. Find out the details or get your tickets at battleforvegas.com. That's battleforvegas.com. Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising $10,000 for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include Monday, July 24th at 8 p.m., benefiting Project for Humanity, and Monday, August 7th at 8 p.m., benefiting Project Dot. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. 
Victory Outreach Church is holding a free back-to-school event with free haircuts and school supplies for the kids on Saturday, July 29th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Paradise McLeod Park, McLeod and Tropicana. There will also be entertainment, music, food, giveaways, and more. Find out the details at volasvegas.org. That stands for Victory Outreach, so volasvegas.org. The Las Vegas Clark County Library District's Free Summer Challenge Program is running through July 31st with lots of prizes for kids and adults, including bookstore items, water bottles, tote bags, museum tickets, a telescope, a $100 Amazon gift card, and cool swag from the Vegas Golden Knights. Sign up to track your progress or find out more at thelibrarydistrict.org slash summerchallenge. That's thelibrarydistrict.org slash summerchallenge. And Foreclosed Upon Pets, Inc., or Fuppy, is holding their 15th annual fundraiser Saturday, August 26th from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Meadow School, 8601 Scholar Lane, Rampart and Lake Mead. Tickets are only $45, payable at the door, and RSVPs are appreciated by August 10th. You can email Sandy Marsh at smarsh2009 at yahoo.com. That's smarsh2009 at yahoo.com. And you can also find out more at foreclosedupon.pets.org, foreclosedupon.pets.org, or facebook.com slash Fuppy Las Vegas. That's F-U-P-I Las Vegas on Facebook. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.